Hi, I'm Nikki Schrera, and you're listening to The Insider, the Jazz Sessions spin-off series where I chat to jazz industry experts about the nuts and bolts of the business. Lesson one, basic hip. Today's guest is Oded Levary, director of Anzac Records, a label he has run for the past decade alongside clarinetist Anat Cohen. The label describes itself as a New York City-based recording label specializing in good music and has released albums by artists including Anat, the vocal trio Duchess, the trumpeter Avishai Cohen, Joel Fram, and Ernesto Savini. As well as helming Anzac Records, Oded is also a pianist and a Grammy-nominated composer and arranger, known for his work as the musical director of the Anat Cohen Tentet. Oded, hello, and welcome to The Insider. Hello, good to be here. So good to have you. So let's just start right at the beginning. Can you tell us about your friendship with Anat, which will also cover some of your musical background, and how it led to co-founding Anzic Records. Sure. Um, so Anand and I actually met in high school in Tel Aviv. Uh, we both went to a, a high school that specialized in, in the performing arts and visual arts, actually. So there were dancers and, and, and um, classical musicians, jazz musicians, um, uh, visual artists, and, uh, and actors. I think that covers everything. Um, and then we were... Uh, uh, we were in the same class and we were in the same kind of jazz uh, program. Uh, and that's, that's how we met. Um, we were in the same kind of high school combo and we played, uh, we played together uh, throughout high school and we, we struck both a friendship and a kind of a, a musical um, uh, friendship, I guess you, you may call it. Um, and then we, we both, uh, we were born in Israel, and and as uh, many Israelis do, we uh, we completed our mandatory uh, army service in bands. I was in the in the army band, and then I was in the in the air force band. So we didn't didn't necessarily uh, meet uh, during that time because if you have one band, why would you have the other? But um, uh, we both ended up in Boston. Uh, studying and that was at Berkeley and I went to the uh, New England Conservatory in Boston. Um, and then Anat moved to New York and I moved to New York um, uh, a few years after she did. Um, so we always had kind of a, we have a very similar uh, background um, and kind of biography in a way. Uh, growing up in the same place, kind of going through the same or similar um, uh, educational institutions, uh, some some uh, army band of experience, um, and then um, when uh, when uh, we came to New York, um, there was um, there was this this feeling uh, amongst a, a group of of us uh, musicians 
uh, it was around the time when major labels kind of stopped uh, signing new artists and, and uh, some labels were, were sitting on unreleased materials from specific artists. Um, and uh, we knew that our friends are making great music, uh, but it's not being released. Uh, so uh, we uh, had worked with, uh, with a, uh, a philanthropist that, that, that uh, financed a lot of uh, uh, recordings for, for friends of ours. Um, and through that process of kind of figuring out, you know, okay, so there, there, we have a recording, what do we do then? Um, there's touring involved, okay, so, you know, how do you do that? So there was a very much kind of an organic uh, process and I was tapped to, to run Anzic Records uh, in 2007, I think because I had, I had some experience working with um, a, um, a classical music website that was also uh, a label uh, called Andante. It was labeled the, the uh, what was it? The gold standard of classical music websites in 2001. If, anyone's interested in that. Um, but I had some experiences with the business and label and that kind of stuff. And I was relatively organized and kept good records and that kind of stuff. So I think, I think that's how I ended up uh, uh, managing Antic Records. It was very much a process of kind of figuring it out. How do we, so how do we do this? What's, what stuff needs to be in place in terms of press, radio, touring, um, releasing albums, international distribution, digital, all that kind of stuff. Where does the name come from? Anzik, uh, the, the first, the A-N comes from Anat and the Zik comes from music. So it's really Anat music, uh, kind of shortened to Anzik. Got it. And we should tell listeners it's spelt with a Z in case you don't. Z. Correct. Z, Z. Not to be confused with Anzac, which is the Australian, New Zealand uh, kind of um, military assistance during the Second World War. <laughs> we have a lot of confused yeah so it's not anzac it's anzic with an i not an a. well let's hope that anybody who's looking for anzac spells it incorrectly and stumbles upon anzic records <laughs> yes, and ends up buying a whole it. bunch of music absolutely i would i would take that. i see i sure. see what you were going for from a marketing perspective <laughs> yes yes it's like you know the various spellings of gucci it's kind of the same trying to ride the the brand yeah. Exactly. Well done. Uh, so you mentioned all the kind of things that you need to learn about in order to have a label and run that label and have it stay afloat. But obviously those things change dramatically over time and they certainly have over, you know, the past 10 years or more. If you zoom in on Anzic specifically, you know, as a small, I would call it a like a boutique jazz label. Micro. A, a micro. A, a boutiqueissimo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> If you zoom in on Anzic and how it's run and how the releases are marketed and the, just the day-to-day -day of running it, what are some of the big changes that exist for the label now versus when it came about 10 years plus ago? It's a really hard question for me to answer because it's not like I have a fixed point of view and the world around me changes. My point of view changes with the world. So it's hard for me to take, you know, rewind myself 10 years ago and say what you know how is how is this different um let me let me try to unpack that so um streaming didn't 
wasn't wasn't a thing when we started. Uh, obviously, it's very much a thing now. Very different. Um, the uh, the process of diminishing uh, real estate in terms of press for jazz releases is an ongoing process. So I can't say that it happened since we started working. It was very much in place when we started and it continues. So the, the, that's not kind of a, that's not necessarily a new thing. You mean changing as in diminishing real estate? Diminishing, yes, yeah. exactly what I mean. Uh, there's, there are less writers writing about jazz in major publications in U in US-based daily uh, newspapers. I mean, it's not unique to jazz. There's just less people writing in these in these you know uh, publications about anything. The, even TV stations, you know, there are less video people, like the less cinematographers or videographers that you know the reporters kind of take pictures on their I mean videos on their phones. Um, so that's kind of a, that's that's not that's not new. So, and, and the reason it, I find it hard to kind of divorce that from my personal experience is that I think for me, 10 years ago, I very much wanted to figure out how to do everything myself and kind of, you know, conquer uh, digital distribution, figure out international distribution, uh, know more about press, uh, figure out radio reporting, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I personally am much less interested in that. I could tell you that maybe it has to do with my personal, uh, my slight personal aversion to social media and that kind of stuff. And that's a lot of the marketing and, and uh, PR happens in those, in those areas. So maybe that's because I'm just not as interested in those things. So that's why I don't want to learn about them necessarily learn, learn to, to do the, the label work through those channels. But I don't know. Certainly, I think that probably is the number one change, if I kind of put in a big bucket, is the ability and the necessity to market specifically and directly to consumers bypassing traditional uh, gatekeepers like press, like radio, like distribution even. So I think, I think overall, I think that's probably the biggest, the biggest change. to marketing though you outsource right i know that a lot of anzic record artists um use jason byrne at red cat publicity i assume though if an artist said that they wanted to use a specific publicist you would consider it how does your working relationship with jason or with any publicist work as a label as opposed to 
you know, a lot of people know if you're an independent artist and you want to work with a publicist, this is the relationship. Is it different? I don't know. Uh, we we certainly we we we've, we've worked with many different publicists. Uh, we kind of we've been working with Jason for a long time. We've established a great uh, working relationship with Jason. Part of it is that whether we work with Jason or not, people are kind of used uh, to. I mean, people in the media are used to Jason handling our releases, and he, he gets the he gets the calls about them anyway. <laughs> even if there's another publicist working uh, working the uh, the uh, the release. But in, in, in general, the way I try to structure working with an artist is in a modular way. In other words, we say you must do press, uh, you must have some kind of radio strategy, you need to think about social media, but how you do it is, is different in each case. So one artist might be in a position where they want to or need to financially do everything themselves. And that's absolutely fine uh, and acceptable. Some artists will might know more about social media and might know less. Yeah, so specifically, um, so I just, I guess that's a kind of a, as an aside, we try to work in a modular way with artists when it has to do with manufacturing as well, with, you know, mastering, mixing, all that kind of stuff. We, I think we have pretty high standards regarding the people we, we work with and what kind of music, what kind of presentation for that music lands or is released with the label. But in, ter in terms of specific personalities, we really try to think about it in, in, in a modular way, but keeping kind of a consistent level of work. Does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And it also answers another question, which would be, what do you kind of expect from artists who release their albums on Anzic? And part of it is the ability to say, I understand there has to be uh, effort made to market, regardless of how you do it or who you pay to do it or not pay. So I think at the, at the top of the list of what, what we would expect from an artist is a certain openness and understanding that this is a partnership. Um, the, the, the most successful artists we worked with, and I include ourselves as artists, because we, we also um, are not, obviously I also have releases on the label. The, the understanding that it's not the module or the, it's not the case where someone takes your music and you sit at home and someone makes it work for everyone. I am very upfront about everyone I work with. Uh, and I say that I, I don't necessarily know how to do it. I do know how to create a team that works towards kind of a long, long-term goal. And I, I feel like we do a really good job in presenting the music, both sonically and in terms of how we describe it to the world. I think that's the, the, the biggest expectation. Uh, we need to work with someone and they need to be basically, um, we are, we want to work with artists who would release their own album, but want to work with us because we can kind of bring them faster to more results or a wider audience or we, they can, I always, not always, but sometimes I say, I, we've made the mistakes that you haven't made yet. So just, you know, we're starting you know, we're starting with a little bit more experience in terms of what to do and what not to do, what works and what doesn't work. But in terms of the work putting into uh, the release and the promotion and the support, we really look for a partnership. Uh, it's not a kind of a one-sided thing. 
That would be a hell of a slogan if you needed one for a website, you know, rehaul. We've made the mistakes yeah. that you don't need to make alone. So join us. No, I think I, I, I think it's a really good slogan for life in a way too, because, um, you know, the, the important thing is to do, you know, do it and then learn from it. Um, you will make mistakes. There's no question, you know, um, but just keep, keep doing it. it's a good reason as to why somebody would possibly want to release under the banner of a label like Antic as opposed to independently because releasing independently is becoming much more commonplace nowadays and much more doable. You could take your money and get a publicist and then you know do you need a label not necessarily but I always think what is enticing about a label is if you've been going it alone for many years you might just be like I don't want to go it alone anymore and you're craving that kind of partnership or it is the value of experience that you get from working with people like Anzik who have been there and done that and know the pitfalls and what to avoid and what to do. Yeah, absolutely agree. I think teams are essential um, when you do something like this, when you're releasing music. There is so much work. There's a lot of work. Um, and it's always good to get a perspective, keep your goals kind of high level goals in mind. And, you know, I know that about myself too, when you are releasing your own music, it, it's hard to keep perspective. And yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just harder, I think, than when, if you work with, a, with someone else, with a team. Can you think of any examples of Anzic artists where you feel like they're a good example of what you're talking about in that they came to Anzic, they had an album or they had a release that, you know, was gonna be released and the partnership just kind of worked really well. I, I can't think of a case where that wasn't the case. Fair enough. Really. We, we picked well, but I can tell you that, that 
the best thing is when artists re release new releases with, with the label and we see kind of a, a growing kind of understanding. So the relationship grows and, and the process is even, even more successful. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I can't think of a case where it was a, a disaster, you know, when it didn't work. You you mentioned that, you know, I think Anzic's quality in terms of the sound production and the final sound and the caliber of musicians that are on your label is very high. It's also small and it's it's kind of contained in that way. Uh, is that intentional? I wouldn't say it's intentional. It's more uh, a, a result of, of limited resources. Um, and and um, yeah, I think... I think that's that's fair to say. I um, do many other things other than than run the label, and um, I don't have time to release everything that that comes to us and, and is good, you know. So we have to be a little more picky uh, about what picky is the wrong word. Um, selective, I guess, in terms of how what what the kind of fit is to for Anzic. I think that's a that's a good. Do you get a lot of email pitches from artists pitching new records? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, we get a lot. There's this thing that artists do where they look at all the labels. I, I, don't, I don't know if all the labels, but they, they look at labels that they want to write to, and we are fairly easy to get to. Um, so we do. We get a lot. I have to say that my, my response is usually, we are not accepting unsolicited materials at this point. Thank you very much for your interest. Um, and it's, it's kind of automatic, just because I know that I can't, I just couldn't possibly deal with the, the number of um, requests I get. Um, and I don't want to deal with some and not deal with others. It doesn't make any sense. So yeah I, that that's that's a pretty standard uh reply from us yeah but it's good and the reason part of the reason that i ask is because for any musicians listening to this i think it's just really good to know what is happening on the other side of that email that you've sent for sure yeah in, in every in every realm whether it's a label or a publicist or a manager or a booking agent you know it's just it's kind of yeah good to good for people to hear it for sure. No. Yeah, I, I will always respond just as a human, <laughs> respond well to a nice email. Uh, if there's a, a quick link to, to listen to the music, I will most likely click it and, and listen for 30 seconds or something like that. And if something grabs me, of course it grabs me, but that's not what I would consider evaluating the release that was sent. You know what I mean? I don't want to say, of course, we listen to everything that, that comes our way and the listening that I do is 30 seconds. That's not, to me, that's not cool. So really the automatic response is, sorry, we don't, we, we don't accept unsolicited materials. I can tell you that I often do click and listen just to check things out. It's important for me to know both as an artist and as a kind of label person, what's like, what's going on? What kind of music people are doing? Uh, who are people working with? Where, where do they record? How do they record? What do they choose to put out or try to put out as an album? That's just kind of curious to me on a, on a general level. So I do often click, but I, I can't say that we, that I really evaluate 
uh, everything that comes in. Fundamentally, there's something magical about bringing music to people. Even now, when it's super easy and anyone can do it, and you can put whatever you want on, on Bandcamp and Spotify and that kind of stuff, I think there's a certain, you know, magic to releasing albums. I still remember, you know, going to the store and unwrapping an LP and being super excited about it. And I love the fact that I'm in the position to create, you know, stuff like that for other people. I don't think, I don't think that's lost. I think that to a certain extent, music was always a commodity. Some music was always a commodity. Some music was kind of a special thing for people to, to have a relationship with. Maybe the ratio changed now, uh, but I still think that it's very, very important for a lot of people. And I, I, I love the fact that I'm involved in creating something like that. How do you balance your activities as a composer, arranger, and performer with your work with Anzac? Very poorly. <laughs> no, it's not. I hope that's not true. I've been doing this for, for a fairly long time. I'm very efficient in what I need to do. Um, and in fact, even in recent months, because of kind of changes in the way we we deal with releasing our our music on streaming services, and then the need that we we sought to support releasing singles and that kind of stuff, I had to change the way we do things, and I kind of went went in there and changed it once. So so I don't need to, you know, I don't need to rethink about it every time every time I do it. So one thing is being super efficient. The other thing is uh, I often schedule blocks for myself where I know that I have a, a, an intense block of ANZIC work where I would take care of more than one release. And then it's kind of the, the ongoing, you know, day-to-day -day operations of the label. But I, I think efficiency and, and blocks of scheduling is my answer. I approve. <laughs> Not that you Thank you. need. Yeah. <laughs>
insight that you have as a label owner, when you are producing an artist, is there anything from that realm that filters into your work as producer or are there two separate and the one is more immediate and you're not thinking overall arch or long-term vision or what a label might need or want, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you know, it absolutely factors into the way I think as a producer. I always found it, I've for a long time, I found it really difficult to reconcile the fact that I am both active on the, let's call it more business kind of side, as well as the creative side. Because traditionally, those are two separate things, right? You have the business people who want everything cheap and fast and uh, short and radio friendly um, and love songs and you know that kind of stuff. And you have the artists who want to do what they want. Many, many you know, movies and, and books were written about that specific kind of dichotomy. And I always found it a little hard to be comfortable in both ways of thinking or in both worlds. To the extent I, I sometimes didn't want someone to know me as someone who's involved in more in a, like a production or the business side of, of music, if there was a chance they would also get to know me as a composer or an arranger. I wished I had like two, <laughs> two separate people I could send, you know, maybe a twin, an evil twin could be the business guy and then I can just be the, the artist. But I've grown to reconcile and embrace that and have one feed the other. So I think it's good, certainly for a producer, but even for an artist to be aware of the, the market conditions or you know, how things translate or you know, not, in a, not in a restrictive way. In other words, not to say, do not release an 11 minute song. But knowing what the challenges are for a 11 minute song, for example, you know, or don't write for a weird big band with three cellos because it's really hard to tour and you can't take it to colleges and work that music, you know, uh, in a, with, a, with a college big band because it's, an un, it's a non-standard ensemble. Good to know, does it block someone from doing that or not? Not necessarily. So, so absolutely, I can say, that as a producer, the producer is, I mean, might not, might not necessarily be unusual, uh, but I certainly know that as, as the work of a producer, I'm very much aware of the final product and maybe other versions of that project, that product that might be useful um, for the artist on the, on the kind of commercial side. So absolutely, uh, I, I am, and I try to reconcile the, the two. Do you think it makes you a better producer? Oh, I don't know. I think I think it makes me as a producer. I, it's high, uh, impossible for me to answer. I don't know. Um, I I think so. I think I think that there's a on, on a personal level. Do you feel like you have more tools, more skills, wider ears, or anything like that? Does do you feel it makes you a better producer? Has it changed the way you produce now that you've reconciled the two things? Can I get back to you? That's a, that's a really interesting question. I don't think I have a, an immediate answer. I think so. I mean, for example, because I know that you're such a consummate musician, I think that makes you a better producer. Personally, right? And I've never thought, well, the fact that Oded has such 
business finesse and savvy when it comes to labels and a kind of bigger picture of the industry, does that make him a better producer? And so now I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking the more strings to his bow, I would think the better the violin. I don't know. Maybe we should talk a little bit about the work of a producer. Um, yes, because for sure, for sure, it makes a difference. I think it makes me a better producer. But the if I if I look at my at my progression as a producer. I think the single most important thing that is making me a better producer, hopefully will continue to make me a better producer, is uh, uh, just just uh, um, interacting with humans <laughs> in a in a better way, you know. Because I really see it as as two there's two different things. There is a body of knowledge that I possess, both musically and on the business side which is, you know, great to have access to. Um, it needs to, when I'm producing and in general, it needs to go through the filter of what is, what is the, the right thing to say or do at this juncture, which is very much a human kind of on a human level what would make this music, what would make this project better? I can know all sorts of things. I can know that this is out of tune. I can know that maybe there's a, you know, more a different choice for, for, for a chord change. And I also know that saying anything remotely, you know, in that vein at this point would be completely detrimental for the rest of the session, you know? in terms of confidence, in terms of how people interact with each other, in terms of, you know, so, so having, having that knowledge and experience, sure, it's not a bad thing. I think in terms of the skill set of the producer, the more important thing is knowing what to say when. That's a good answer. And it does also open up those different a sort of definition for those different avenues and let somebody think about an artist specifically and I, this is a whole different discussion but lets the artist think now okay well what do i want from a producer because right. that's a an important question yeah as to who you choose because what skills do you want that person to have yeah what skills but also what's important what what's important in the studio what actually makes an impact with the recorded sound like what is it you know, that makes, makes the album you love, you know, forget about what's successful, what's, you know, appealing to you uh, uh, from kind of maybe an intellectual point of view or what the cool kids are doing. What are the, what's the recorded music that you love? What, what does it have in it uh, that, that, is, that is appealing to you? Good answer. Well, thank you. And just remind us, how many cellos were in the Anzic Jazz Orchestra? Uh, three. Uh, as well as my album, I, yes, I love cellos and three is kind of a magic number for me. I just wanted to give our listeners some insight there because you did mention three cellos in an arrangement. And in fact, I, did. I think you're in some ways the, the king of unorthodox uh, instrument groupings in arranging. And, and it works. I mean... Um, I have to, <laughs> I have to tell you, uh, when I was, when I was in high school, I discovered arranging in high school 
and I loved it. I just, I thought it's the best thing in the world. Um, and I took whatever arranging project was given to me, no matter what the situation, I didn't care. I just wanted to write for different instruments. Uh, and, and my arranging, my high school arranging teacher, I think uh, called me, uh, prank called me and said that someone, that he's someone from somewhere and he wanted me to write an arrangement for three recorders and a mandolin and a bassoon, like some, some unlikely combination. I said, absolutely, when do I start? Can, can you send me a chart or is there like a reference that you <laughs> so, so yes, I, um, I like that. The, the other side of that is that I, when I was in the army band, it was a marching band, so no strings, but there were like 12 clarinets, 11 trumpets, eight trombones, five euphoniums, two tubas, that kind of stuff. And I, whenever I had to stay over, I uh, wouldn't like not go home, but stay, you know, to guard the base, whatever, I would write a little sketch for the, whatever, <laughs> whatever instruments stayed with me in the army base. So I, I wrote for some, some really crazy woodwind uh, and brass combinations. Eight is eighty-eight, and twelve times eight is nine. 
same as 10 times 8 plus 2 times 8. 1 times 8 is 8. 2 times 8 is 16. 3 times 8 is 24. 4 times 8 is 32. And 5 times 8 is 40. What are you most proud of when you think of Anzac Records? I think the relationships we created, both with listeners, people who love music, and the people we work with. Artists, vendors, I think they call them, uh, you know, uh, engineers, mastering engineers, recording engineer, mixing engineers, uh, studio owners, people in the uh, jazz publication world, you know, that, all, all that kind of stuff, radio people. I think that's what I'm most uh, proud of. And what are you looking forward to in terms of Anzic and upcoming releases, maybe? Anything you can tell us? Yeah, I, we've, we've been quite busy, actually, in terms of new releases. Um, I think we all felt after this period of isolation and, uh, you know, being home, that is hopefully maybe starting to be behind us. Um, there, was a, there was a flurry of, of activity and creativity, both during that time, but also stuff that, that happened before, but got completed during that time. Um, so I can tell you that the, um, uh, we have two releases coming in September uh, and in October. The uh, first one is in September from uh, drummer Jared Schoening actually two CDs, uh, really interesting product. I've known Jared for a long time, plays on a, a bunch of our uh, recordings uh, with Duchess, tremendous uh, uh, drummer and composer. And he did this really interesting thing where he uh, recorded an album with a quintet and then recorded mostly the same tunes uh, or some of the same tunes with a big band and uh, asked, uh, eight, I believe, fabulous uh, big band arrangers to, to arrange his music. Um, so that's, that's super cool. Um, very ambitious as well. And just super cool. It's a great, great project. It's the first release under his name. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's a worthy one. It's, a, it's really, really uh, incredible. I just want to interrupt to say that either I will say we have Jared coming on the jazz session to talk about that double album uh or by the time this airs maybe he will have been on it it depends how scheduling lines up so if you're hearing this um and you haven't heard the episode interview with jared schoenig you can go and find it if it's aired and if you're hearing this and that episode is not yet aired then that's something you can look out for yes continue perfect and then uh, the other release is, is another duo album from Anat Cohen and Marcelo Gonzalez. Marcelo is a, is a seven string guitar player. Their first release together. Um, and sorry, and Anat is a clarinet player. I feel like I don't need to say it, but I should. Um, the, uh, and, and the co-owner of Anzac Records. Um, and uh, this was recording, recorded during quarantine in Rio. Uh, and uh, it's a follow up to their first Grammy nominated uh, album. The first one uh, had to do with the, the, they explored the music of Moacir Santos, who is a really interesting figure in Brazilian music. He wrote for big band in Brazil uh, and his music is very cinematic uh, and kind of on the 
on the uh, stitch between um, uh, Brazilian music and jazz. Uh, and Marcelo arranged this large ensemble music for seven string clarinet, which is uh, seven string clarinet. That that'll be interesting. That's an interesting instrument. That's something you seven want to arrange for. And clarinet. Five of exactly. them. That's thirty-five um, strings on a clarinet. That's an accordion, I think. Seven string clarinet. Um, <laughs> Uh, he arranged this music and he, I sometimes question whether he has indeed only two arms, two, two hands, because he like, it sounds like an, a full orchestra playing. Um, and this album that they will be releasing in October uh, is an album of mostly covers of uh, popular Brazilian music. It's kind of, that's a genre. Um, and uh, uh, for instrumental covers for, for clarinet and, and seven string guitar. And it was brought about uh, when in Brazil, some of these, um, some of these artists like Caetano Veloso and, and uh, Gilberto Gil and uh, uh, missing one, uh, Milton Nascimento uh, gave kind of streaming concerts from their home singing their biggest you know, hits. And in, in Brazilian music, these songs are really embedded in the culture. Everyone knows them. People sing a lot. I don't know if you you've ever been, seen that there's a there's a Gilberto Gil and uh, and um, Caetano Veloso concerts, just the two of them with the guitars, and the audience is just constantly singing with it's it's hilarious. Everyone knows the words. Like they know everything. It's like a communal singing kind of thing. So. Um, so they sang these songs to people in their homes, you know, and Anato and Marcelo were listening to that stuff. And, and Marcelo said, oh, uh, you know, I always wanted to hear Anat play this stuff. Maybe we'll write it. And they, you know, he, they kind of recorded it piecemeal um, uh, with Marcelo kind of explaining to Anat. Anat speaks Portuguese, but uh, uh, Marcelo kind of ex explaining the lyrics and kind of the genesis of those, uh, of the, of the, of the songs and how important they are and in what way they are important uh, in Brazilian culture. And so that's that album. It's called Reconvexo, which is a, a title of, uh, of a Caetano um, Veloso song as well. And that's coming out in October. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, I mean, hopefully we can get Anat and Marcelo on this show together. Oh, you totally should. Yeah. yeah, I would love that. Amazing. Oh, well, I'm very excited for Anzic and You by Proxy, Oded, and can't thank you enough for coming to speak to me today. My pleasure. It's been a joy. Thank you. And anything we've spoken about will be in the show notes, links, mentions of people. And of course, you can visit Anzic's website to hear all the music from their artists. And uh, that's A-N-Z-I-C, just in case you get um, put onto something completely different. Yay! Yay!
Mad thanks to Oded Levary for being my guest this week on The Insider. I will make a note of all tracks played during today's episode in the show notes for the episode, as well as any other links mentioned during conversation. The Insider is a spin-off series to the jazz session that I created in order to chat to jazz industry experts about the work that they do and the musicians who inspire them. The Insider is available to Patreon members at the $10 per month tier in advance of the episodes being available to the public on all podcast platforms. If you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to head to thejazzsession.com slash join thejazzsession.com slash join to find out how you can become a patron today. Feel free to rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and find me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Check out the Jazz Sessions YouTube channel for video excerpts of interviews with this season's guests. Thank you for listening. I'm Nikki Schrera and I'll see you soon.